Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. Hey, bozos, number five is alive. Ooh, Sequel Quest, podcast, entertainment. Hey, killer input, muchacho. No need to disassemble, Johnny Five. Just start the show. Well, if you've not figured it out, we are going to be talking some short circuits diving into the 1986. Uh, could we call this a classic? Cult classic. Well, ah. it's Steve Gutenberg. It's the Gutenberg, so that's in a <laughs> right. class of its own. <laughs> Steve Gutenberg, Ali Sheedy. Fisher Stevens, G.W. Bailey, Tim Blaney, playing number five. We're talking about Short Circuit here, and it might be a choice of mine. But in fact, the choice was made by our special guest here tonight. So allow me to introduce Keith. Hello, everybody. Hi, Dr. Keith. <laughs> Hello. Anyway. <laughs> Keith is in the family. But he is also a, a master of the improv stage, a lover of film and comedy. When we get together for family events, he's the only person who can relate to me. So it's good times. <laughs> yes, yes. My nephew-in-law. But tell me this, Keith. Why the short circuit films? What made you think this is something that we could actually discuss and have sequel possibilities to? It's kind of near and dear to my heart because I have an older brother that he just grew up on all of these VHS taped 80 movies that my dad recorded. You know, we didn't ever buy a VHS. I don't ever recall us ever actually having one from the store. Yeah, and so we'd go on car trips and he'd play this one over and over and over again. So you just start thinking about it, right? And you're like, okay, yeah, there's a way you could you could go that way or you could go this way with, you know, what's going to go on with Johnny Five. Well, uh, yeah. I would I would actually say that I, I believe that Johnny Five has had a more significant influence on you than you would imagine because in conversations with you, most often you jump into impressions. You're constantly just bouncing off one joke to the other, just like Johnny fives so i think you guys uh, have a lot more in common than you might recognize hey man don't blame me blame my brother <laughs> i mean i was six years old when this movie came out were most of you guys even born when this movie came out like i was you guys four. missed the gutenberg era <laughs> but yeah because that's the one thing with this movie now looking back is that Steve Gutenberg was the Jim Carrey was about 10, 15 years ago, where he was the comedian, I guess like uh, Kevin Hart these days, or what's his, Kevin James, where he just seems to be in every comedy. Like that was the Steve Gutenberg era. And not only that, but you also had Ali Sheedy after Breakfast Club. Yeah, Gutenberg was right in the midst of all of those Police Academy movies at that time. And Oh yeah, and Three Men and a Baby. You either loved him or you hated him. It's all about the hair. The <laughs> and Adam, you might be throwing this in at some point, but because I think they said, what was it? It was originally, it was supposed to be somebody else. Yeah, he, this is okay, really, the casting of this is pretty fascinating. So the first film, not so interesting to me. You have, you have Ali Sheedy, Steve Gutenberg, kind of the white bread of movies, you know, ever present, but not so interesting to have on screen. But then you get Fisher Stevens playing this character named Ben, who in this final film is Indian. But the real history of all of this is that the character was written to be just as white and boring as Steve Gutenberg's character of Newton Crosby. And what happened was they said, you know what, let's spice this up a little bit, add a little ethnic flavor bring that one back and what did they do they said let's rewrite him as an indian character who has not quite the, the best grasp on the english language and so when they did that they said who do we go to well bronson Pinchot, of course you know he's been in beverly hills cop balky for perfect strangers they put him in the role and then for some reason he dropped out so they said let's bring fisher stevens back but make him play an indian guy and then the weirdest part of all of it is that Fisher Stevens bears a striking resemblance to this 
actual Bollywood actor from India who was very popular at the huh. time. His name was Javed Jaffrey. And they the Indian audiences thought that he had been in a Hollywood movie, not some other guy who looked like him in brown makeup, you know? And so he had to like issue an official statement. It wasn't me. It wasn't me, you know? So I just, I think it's, it's hilarious that they did that. And, and they did take some flack, you know, for being racist and whatever. Oh, yeah. like, that portrayal. Right. Well, and I but, do uh, think like, yeah, it was, I mean, if you, again, if you go back and watch it now, like it's pretty culturally insensitive because it's very like, He's basically a poo from The Simpsons, where it's just, oh, very good. He steals the show. But again, you get an actor. I remember, too, because then a couple of years later, Fisher Stevens was in Hackers, was maybe his next big movie, where he had no accent. And it was just like, what? Who the heck is this guy? Because he was so you know famous for his his role in this. You you remember from Hackers. I remember him from Super Mario Brothers where he played one of Koopa's (laughs) goofy (laughs) nephews. But also you would uh, the same guy? (laughs) It Uh is. Can you believe it? But he was actually dating Michelle Pfeiffer at the wow. time did you guys know this he dated michelle pfeiffer for years and he recently he had an interview and he's the headline was fisher stevens will never get over michelle pfeiffer <laughs> and you're <laughs> like oh, oh that's sad but also like you said gw bailey who i love in all the police academy films he actually lasted longer in the franchise than steve gutenberg did about the film itself how do you guys really feel about short circuit is it a classic is it a cult classic keith what's your actual review of short circuit oh man i i think even from the get-go i always thought that ali sheedy was like it just wasn't her part it felt like she was a square peg in a round hole and then she's like oh number five you know and it just felt awkward and i'm like yeah all right well it's good that she's here maybe she'll die in the end of the movie and she <laughs> but um, <laughs> Uh, you gotta have okay. something to be, but anyway, I didn't really like her and the film itself. What's not to like? Talking robots, lasers that shoot stuff, making big messes in a house. It's the perfect show for littler kids, tweens. Then you go back and watch it when you're an adult, and you're adorable still, but you're at oh, that's that's not good cinema, but it's it's still nice. Jeff, how about you? My guess is I'm gonna be opposite to you, Adam. Well, let me rephrase that. I probably had a similar experience with you in the fact that as a kid, I loved the second one. Because the second one is sillier, it's got Michael McKeon in it, it's let's scratch Steve Gutenberg and just make it all about Ben and Johnny Five and stuff like that. But then, years later, it seemed like the critics, Siskel and Ebert, didn't like the first one, but liked the second one. And a lot of the critics liked the first one, didn't like the second one, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And for me, because of the time, it's kind of like, what was the movie that came out not too long ago? Chappie? which Chappie is a very similar concept, this idea, which especially back in the 80s, about this computer becoming self-aware and learning how to be human and blah, 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 blah. And there was some real drama on the line in the first one. And then the second one is just kind of like, well, you know what people liked about that? The robot and the Indian guy. So let's cut (laughs) any of the substance. Let's come up with some bizarre jewel heist that's going on and, you know, put him in New York City and yada, yada, yada. And so... For me, again, the second one was a lot of fun as a kid, but in hindsight, I enjoy the substance of the first one more. Well, the the first one does have a a line, which is maybe you could consider it deep if you want or philosophical, but life is not a malfunction. Mm. You know, Ali Sheedy speaking to Steve Gutenberg about that. I think that's a pretty interesting thing to think about. And the film itself is saying, okay, people can't accept this robot that's sentient. But the thing that I do not appreciate about the first film is action is happening. They're on the run. There's military applications for the robots, all these things that should be exciting. But it just feels like it's staged and shot in such a boring way that I'm uh-huh. never engaged. Even like the relationship building you know, between Ali Sheedy and John. 95 to me just does like Howard the Duck works better than this relationship. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so mm. Howard and Beverly in that film, I'm like, okay, a woman could fall in love with the duck. <laughs> can, I, can I point out one but, thing though? I felt like the comedy in the first one, it lasts longer. Like I feel like that works a lot better for me. The second one, if I was like eight or nine, when I saw that, I'd be like, all right, that was funny. But I saw it when I was a teenager and I thought I was lame. So. <laughs> oh, see now I watched it over and over and over again. And the thing that I love about it is the first film is talking more along the line lines of humanity or human beings reacting to this robot in this situation. I didn't feel like it's Johnny Five's movie 
where Short Circuit 2, it's kind of like a Pinocchio situation where he really is trying to relate to people and they just can't accept him and won't allow him and they take advantage of him. So I like the point of view of this film much better. Plus the Ben romance subplot is, you know, it's Sandy, the toy executive. That's really cute and lovable to watch. But my favorite scene as a kid, still my favorite scene now, was with the street gang, the Los Locos. Oh, yeah. And like, they're just unforgettable. Los Locos kick your face. (laughs) Whatever it is. Kick your into outer space. um, (laughs) Now, the tough thing for me, though, so, well, which I want to hear what your response is, Adam, is that because I know for me, the big turn is supposed to be Michael McKeon's character, where he's the shyster that's trying to take advantage of Johnny Five and Ben and make money off them. But in the end, he's supposed to learn to care for Johnny Five. And for me, that was the thing where even as a kid, I was like, nope, didn't buy it. And I love Michael McKeon as an actor, but I just didn't buy his turn in this movie. The reason I do go along with it, because I would agree. I mean, he's just like, obviously, he takes him to a company and tries to sell Johnny Five, you know, and then he falls out of a 20-story window or I don't know how high he was and then flies around on a hang glider, which is awesome. (laughs) But the reason that works for me is the scene where Johnny Five is betrayed by Oscar and the gang of thugs come in and beat him with crowbars is so impactful. Like there is real emotion there and it, it's brutal and it's shocking and it makes you wince because he's like, no, like he's like screaming while they're bashing him to pieces and they actually get sprayed with, I, I don't think it was battery acid or they probably would have been screaming, but they get sprayed with some sort of lubricant that's coming out of him. Like it's, it's really bad and then when he puts himself back together as like a punk rock robot it's got like a death wish revenge film vibe to it the emotions behind that michael mckean character fred who's looking at that we're all feeling it and i believe that that would like to shake him to the core as well so that he's on johnny Five's side 100 percent. now he's just seen that this is a real feeling creature so now he's not going to allow himself to give in to his baser instincts i guess yeah. just a note if you watch that chase scene without the music it's not very impactful at all <laughs> it's just because it's kind of <laughs> like because he's injured right so he's not moving at full speed and it's just like a and then the boat is going along and then it goes back to him and it's like then in the end he gets him but it's like although i have to say the johnny five robot design is pretty impressive just from a the ability to emote that it has i mean oh, it, yeah. it, you know like you said maybe it can't move you know the fastest but it, it actually you believe again that this is a, a living creature it comes right at you through the screen the puppeteering is really where they shine in this and they spent a lot of time developing the robot to be just right for those purposes but also he was designed by sid mead and i don't know if you guys know who that is but he's a futurist designer who he's worked on like aliens and tron and blade runner like these very like iconic visual films so to have him involved i mean you can understand why johnny five is such an iconic character from cinema but let me ask you this so did you ever feel as bad as i did that there weren't real johnny five robots to buy at the store yeah oh Oh. (laughs) i did not well, no. especially because right around that time was when Nintendo was pushing out. Oh, shoot. What was that little thing called? Rob. The robot. Oh, Rob. Yeah. Yes. The robot that you would play with. And he yes. bore a striking resemblance to Johnny Five. But if he fell over, he was slashing children's faces. So he didn't. <laughs> now, Jeremy, you've been very quiet on this. I, Where do you fall yeah. on Short Circuit, Johnny Five? I know I saw the first one, and it has been years. It's a little foggy and a little hazy, but it's a movie for that age. Like what that is age it group. though? Is it is it a kids movie? Because it, if you look at it, there's quite a bit of swearing. Yeah, but it's like eighty swearing. Okay, so oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would say more for the age. Like you're talking about, it's a movie for the eighties. Yeah. Because I would say, like, we tell that, again, we tell that exact same story these days, but now it looks like Chappie, or it looks like Ex Machina, where it's we're telling the exact same story, much, much darker and much, much heavier, because it's a lot more real. Because especially back in the 80s, a robot that becomes alive was such a silly idea. But now we're kind of like, well, we're not too far away, you know? 
Well, Jeremy, I'm surprised it wasn't more of a favorite of yours because it's another film that was actually shot in your neck of the woods. It was shot in the same Oregon town as The Goonies and Kindergarten Cop, which I find amazing. Huh. So th- that's a shared universe. I didn't use that in my pitch, but <laughs> man, can you imagine the Goonies teaming up with Arnold and, and then getting together with Johnny Five? I mean, that'd be a jam-packed movie. But the other question I have then is, so Jeff, like you said, you liked uh, Short Circuit 2 when you were a kid. Now going back, not so much. Keith, not your cup of tea necessarily. Now, I, obviously I love the second one, not so much the first, but do you guys feel like this is a film that should have a sequel? Are you surprised that there wasn't one that came out? Well, from what I've read, they keep wanting to do a reboot. And it sounds like there's still a reboot in the works, that they're wanting to reboot this. Uh, it keeps changing hands and going through the developmental hell that movies go through. But there seems like there is an interest. But the tough thing is, is that, I don't know. I mean, again, it is such a product of the 80s, and I think the the original one gets lost in the Gutenberg. Sad thing about Gutenberg is that Steve Gutenberg's collective body of work seems to get kind of dismissed as Gutenberg films, where it's kind of like, oi, like he's one of those comedians that you, like Pauly Shore, where you just kind of roll your eyes and you go, oh, it's a Gutenberg? Well... Again, it's the curls. Yeah, it could be the curls. <laughs> Well, honestly, I think it was just overexposure for him, though, in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, totally. I, re- I recently watched, like, Cocoon for the first time. Oh, my and gosh. He's, he's in that. Oh, and he's and fine. it's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a great movie. Man, like, Three Men and a Baby, that's a good movie. It's not yeah. a terrible film. No, like, go no. back and watch it. It's nice. You know, so it's like he's he was in good movies, but there was just so many of them that I think yeah. at a certain point people were like, he belongs in the 80s. Like, even I used to watch a movie of his called High Spirits. Oh, where, yeah. Where, you know, where, where he's in a, a supposedly haunted castle that it turned out to actually be haunted. But, like, you know, he was just so, so overexposed. I think people got to that point where they say, you know what, no more Gutenberg. This is the 90s. This is, you know, 21st century. We're done with him. But the other yeah. part, too, where we talk about a sequel to Short Circuit is it kind of already happened. It was called Wally. And when I showed Short Circuit to my two year old daughter the whole time, she's going, Wally. Wally run. She thought it was a live action sequel to Wally in her mind, you know? So I think almost if you brought back Johnny five, a whole generation would think you were just ripping off what Disney already did when they, at least in design and almost attitude without the the talking Uh, ripped off Johnny five. Agree or disagree? uh, I don't, I don't know that I buy that. I mean, if you really look at the, I mean, I will agree that his eyes are similar and they might have been inspired like I'll, I'll buy that but the rest of it the storyline one if you think about it well i guess short circuit would be a prequel because it's set in the far far future uh, wally is but that's the whole joke is that he's so teeny that he has a cockroach for a best friend whereas johnny five is like six and a half feet tall <laughs> yeah that's a defining characteristic is he the logistics teeny? make I... no sense man <laughs> Well, he runs into the bigger versions of him when he gets to the spaceship. Okay. Now, I, I do have to mention that although my claim that Wally was, you know, an unofficial sequel does not work, there was actually a follow up film called Hot Cars Cold Facts that was produced in 1991 by the California Justice Department. <laughs> and oh, yeah. It's an anti car theft film. It's on YouTube. You can watch it. And it actually picks up immediately after the events of Short Circuit 2, where Johnny Five becomes an actual citizen. By the way, another movie of the 80s where, uh, you know, somebody who could never be a citizen becomes a citizen, I guess, because, like, also in Mac and Me, those aliens become citizens at the end, which, I don't know. I guess that's okay. Anybody from a foreign land or foreign planet, but... If we're referencing (laughs) Mac and Me in any way, shape, or form, we're already (laughs) in trouble. As often as I can. We've already done the Xanadu show. Now I have to campaign for Mac and Me, too. But... That's not a bad reward, though, I mean, considering all that he did. Well, okay, it's kind of a little bit overshot. I mean, if you're going to say, hey, you blew up the Death Star, here's a medal, and then, you know, the internet says, what? They got a medal? You know, that's not that good. And then, and why didn't Chewbacca get a medal? Right, what right, right. I was waiting oh, for it. <laughs> give the Wookiee a medal, man. Right. So, I mean, this guy stops a bank thief and he becomes an American citizen? But then he, and he starts his own company, and then he becomes a homeowner 
and buys a truck, okay, in this film, and the truck gets stolen. So he and his news reporter neighbor go on the trail of these car thieves, and they learn all the ins and outs of car theft prevention along the way. And he actually does catch somebody trying to steal his truck again. The thing is, it's actually like got all the same kind of humor, like the same style of Johnny Five going throughout. So it really feels like a third film, even though it's you know short in length. Fun fact, it was actually written by a guy named Steve Urkel, but with an E, not a U. So <laughs> Steve oh. Urkel, and it's his sole writing credit on IMDb. <laughs> wow. Bless his heart. Is, and who knows? Maybe he was the inspiration for the wacky sitcom character. Well, I don't know if it's the same guy because Steve Urkel was an inspiration. Like it was the writer's best friend. And he said like, well, I just need a random name. And it became to the point where the real Steve Urkel couldn't cash checks for years because nobody <laughs> would believe that there was a real Steve Urkel. So I wonder if this uh. was his, that was his payback, maybe. Can I do that? <laughs> Yeah, why why did Johnny Five ever quote Steve Urkel? I guess it's a little too early. Eighty-eight, yeah, not quite yeah, Family Matters era. Was I the only one that the first one felt like Flight of the Navigator? Did it yes. remind anybody else? Yes, I love that movie. It feels very similar, except for you know, no Paul Rubens. Is if we're gonna go Paul Rubens, let's just say also. On the Star Tours, the original Star Tours ride, that robot, very similar to Johnny Five as well. As you're waiting in line in the queue, there's actually a little robot who's like doing some welding of some sort. Supposedly repairing something while he's talking to you, yeah. He always reminded me of Johnny Five as well. Of that era, he just seems like he was the most iconic talking jokester robot so I, his influence has been <laughs> felt for quite a while all throughout entertainment whether theme parks or film or even television you had kevin the robot on saved by the bell screeches talking robot what was that come in like on. two episodes come on now <laughs> but i'm very curious to find out where we're all deciding to take it so jeremy you want to lead us into the pitches maybe give us a quick synopsis of each film i sent jeremy the actual blurbs off the back of the dvd boxes because i always like how they sell films all right steve gutenberg and ali sheedy co-star in this high-tech comedy adventure about number five a robot who escapes into the real world after he short circuits in an electrical storm and decides that he is human because he's carrying destructive weapons the department of defense and his designer gutenberg are desperate to find him but number five is being protected by the young woman, played by Sheedy, who is teaching him a gentler way of life. That's how they chose to sell the film. Okay. And now when they come back for part two, number five, a.k.a. Johnny Five, that incredible, lovable robot from the smash hit Short Circuit, is back and taking the big city by storm in this action-packed comedy adventure. Upbeat Johnny's out for some urban input, but some street hoods, a greedy banker, <laughs> and a gang of crooks see his naivete as their high-tech ticket to Easy Street. Will Johnny survive the big bad city and its big bad city slickers? <laughs> yeah. Keep your wires crossed when you switch on this high-voltage film. Wow. Oh boy. So let's see, we had crooks. We had street street hoods, greedy banker, gang of crooks. I can't believe they didn't use the word hijinks. That was the only thing missing to just make that Pretty much <laughs> shenanigans and all shenanigans. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So I have like a two minute pitch. Oh, oh great. great. I wasn't going to do one and I thought of one. All right. So my pitch is so Johnny Five has lived on doing his thing, making his own upgrades, but he is scared by the Y2K bug and goes <laughs> into hibernation mode, setting himself to wake up in 10 years. And well, after 10 years, he wakes up and his programming has a lot of Windows updates. <laughs> <laughs> and so he spends the next seven years updating. <laughs> And now, Johnny Five is back alive in 2017, and it's a whole new world. Wow. And I'm pretty sure we can come up with some more hijinks. I think that's just a funnier die sketch right too. there. Just, just send that to Funny or Die. They'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Although, let's be honest, with Funny or Die, they probably would just kind of continue to beat that joke to death. Definitely. It'd be every 15 seconds, 
ding, another update. Exactly. <laughs> It'd be a 20-minute catch of him updating. Pending updates, a thousand. Reboot. <laughs> All right. Well, Keith, you picked this movie. You can kick us off tonight. <sighs> All right. Well, I may have overthought it, so... <laughs> I thought that the first two had some good iconic songs that get stuck in your head forever. So I figured I'd throw in uh, Too Legit to Quit by MC Hammer in there yes. somewhere, as well as Cold <laughs> as Ice by Foreigner. You can put those wherever you want in this rundown here. So Johnny Five, having been granted the rights of a citizen when we last saw him, must start dealing with the problems of the average American struggles with the reasons for many laws and in many ways like a child has a problem with blind obedience. He has to deal with a few lawsuits from incidents from the previous film now that he's out of hiding. The bookstore's upset that he damaged all their shelves and books. Nova Robotics still recognizes him as stolen property, and they're wanting his immediate extradition back to Oregon. The bank wants him to pay for damage to their vault. Anyway, given all of this and recognizing a hero when he sees one, George H.W. Bush calls Johnny Five into action to help with the Gulf War. Uh, I don't know if that was more George W., but anyway. Uh, with the promise of helping him with his legal trouble. So he pays off Nova and buying the property that they were originally going to sell the government and then granting him a presidential pardon. Meanwhile, Scroder, the security dude that got fired from the end of the first movie, sees Johnny on the 5 o'clock news and he's furious. Okay, so his job is gone basically because of Johnny Five. His wife and kids have left him. He's in a trailer. He's drinking a beer at the time and his wife beat her and his beard's growing out. And he says, I knew it! And he storms out the door with a shotgun in hand and he just there's that shot of just trailer door just kind of banging in the wind. Anyway, so Johnny gets uh, ready to fly out for war. Yeah, he's changing his, his gold panels out for tr his traditional steel with camouflage hints. Scroder actually ends up getting tackled by security at the airport as he jumps the fence. He tries to shoot down the plane, and he does the stereotypical, I'll get you! It's kind of like Inspector Gadget, you know, shaking his fist. I'll get you, Gadget! Anyway, as the plane flies off, he ends up getting 15 years for his brandishing of the shotgun at the plane. Uh, ultimately, Johnny flies for the Middle East on a big old military plane, but he flies into Fort Benning, Georgia, on a commercial plane from New York, and he causes all types of mischief as he can't really fit into his seat, so he chucks it out, and he's super friendly with the stewardess and keeps dinging the call button, reads everything in the seat back <laughs> in two seconds, gets really bored and paints mustaches on people who are sleeping, super quick uh -huh. so no one catches him, starts quoting the onboard movie word for word, anyway, any everyone claps when he gets off. Basic training, super short, his superiors notice his aptitude and immediately recommend him and get him sent to the U.S. base, wherever it was, uh, to help with strategies. So the Gulf War ended up lasting one month, one week, and six days, any questions as to why? Because Johnny friggin' Five planned the strategies, man. However, on his way out of the country, he unfortunately gets taken as a prisoner of war. Much happens in this time, but he ends up catching a virus. He ends up getting it out of his system, but it deletes a lot of his memories. And then he ends up getting lost for the next 15 years, slowly putting together who he is and wandering. But he goes a bit wild, and then he makes it to India, where who should be there? making international toy business, Ben Javari, or J Japatuya, whichever movie you're subscribing to, who shows him, you know, photos and jogs his memory enough to make him realize who he is and gets him in touch with the U.S. and gets him back home. Ben gets him some upgrades before he leaves, including a personal assistant, not, not necessarily Siri, but who always gets in arguments with him. Uh, <laughs> he gets increased memory as and also instant input, which he gets by plugging him into the web, which Ben realizes that he can't keep doing that, otherwise he'll be stuck on it all day, so... He keeps unplugging him and plugging him back in. Anyway, Schroeder, in jail, is meanwhile planning his revenge, realizing that his decision was far too rash to try and destroy the robot with a shotgun, so he decides that the only person that would know the ro robot inside and out and be able to destroy him would be Newton Crosby, Ph.D. So his plan involves making lots and lots of friends in prison, sets up an intelligence community for when he gets out, promises his cronies that if he can get out, kidnap Crosby and create new robots to destroy Johnny Five, to create an army that could be sold for millions on the black market later. So Scroder, after serving his time, gets out early for good behavior, gets his plan moving, flees to Mexico after kidnapping Crosby from his Montana ranch and smuggles him in over the border. Johnny returns to the States and immediately heads back to Montana. He finds Stephanie alone with her cats and crying. Uh, when he discovers what's wrong, the old red eyes come out. And he does a bit of detective work on his own, and he ends up cracking Scroder's intelligent community. Finds out the Scroder what he's done and where to find him. Uh, Scroder finds out that he's been compromised, and instead of hiding deeper across the border, contacts Johnny and tells him to meet him in Cuba, Texas, an old ghost town, and to come alone or Crosby will die. Of course, Johnny ends up whipping together his own crack team of robots before heading out, who incidentally have the same personality as the A-team, and uh, he heads <laughs> to the rendezvous. Of course, Scroder doesn't come alone, and when Johnny rolls up the main street of the town, he finds Scroder with his army of robots, you know, heading down the main drag, and he's got Crosby with 
a knife to him. Johnny tries to approach, and he ends up just slicing him across the chest. Didn't actually stab Crosby, so he's still alive. But it freaks Johnny out enough that he calls in his other robots, and they all start doing battle. And through a lot of sneakiness and plans and, you know, traps and bombs and stuff. Anyways, he ends up getting Scroter by the, the scruff of his neck and kind of pulls a Mr. Miyagi on him, you know, and he levels his laser on him, ready to give the kill shot, and then he just honk, honks his nose, and that's basically it. He ends up getting Crosby back to the hospital, and uh, I didn't actually come up with more of an ending than that, but I think I did a whole lot of in-between on that, so I don't really need an ending. Well, you fit right in. That's that's an Adam special. <laughs> Absolutely. Get the details in there. Those are good beats. I liked it. I love the continuity there, Keith. You now know. I need a drink. Take a rest. Take a rest. All right, Jeff. All right. Well, unless, Adam, you usually bring up the, the rear. Did you want to? Yeah, let's let's mix it up. I'll go for oh, okay. it. Thank okay. You. The one thing, you know, I mentioned briefly that the Los Locos were my favorite part of Short Circuit 2. I used to jump on the playground and repeat <laughs> their rap, totally unaware that I was cursing, totally unaware that it was not appropriate. And I just, I thought I was hilarious because I was just thinking now, I really wish I would have written a sequel featuring the Los Locos, but it didn't occur to me at the time. Maybe you guys would have uh, voted for that one. But I think what we came up with here, just Short Circuit 3. And so after the events of Short Circuit 2, through news footage, we're shown that Input Incorporated, which is the company founded by Johnny Five, Ben and Fred at the end of the film, is bought out by a Microsoft type company during the 90s PC boom because a Bill Gates type wishes to create the first PC with artificial intelligence. So in this whole buyout, Fred takes his money and he's out of the picture. But after years of development failure with Johnny and Ben trying to work with this company, they're eventually fired in 1999 when it's concluded that Johnny Five was just an anomaly. He cannot be duplicated. So Ben and Sandy have married at this point. They move to Oklahoma to start a family. But Johnny Five is disillusioned with the greed of humanity. He becomes a depressed input junkie. And he's wandering <laughs> the country for two years, just back roads, hopping on trade cars. You know, he's jacking in at various libraries and Internet cafes for a rush of input and the burgeoning internet age and all the while ben is constantly sending encouraging emails to johnny five just checking up on him making sure that he's okay knows he's loved finally he hits rock bottom and he concludes that he must find the meaning of life and decides to head to tibet and he studies with the dalai lama and other far east philosophers he spends the next 15 years as a humanitarian worker all over the world and he's helping people to develop their farm and trying to end world hunger. He's just becoming this Zen philosopher, but all his quotes are also mixed in with TV and movies. And so finally, he decides that it's time to return to the States when he gets an email from Sandy telling him that Ben is very sick. So he arrives in Oklahoma and he finds that Ben is sadly in the last stages of cancer, but Ben is at peace with his fate. And he's telling Johnny that he's more concerned with the welfare of the people in his community who have been financially devastated by years of drought and poor crops. And so after Ben passes, Johnny decides to stay and help by introducing his agricultural techniques that he's developed to the townspeople, but they don't trust a robot. Again, they have to somehow believe that he's the real deal. So what happens is he is uh, living with a Sandy and Ben's 25-year-old son, Chris, who's secretly been continuing this artificial intelligence work because he feels his father failed to accomplish that. And he really wants to get out of Oklahoma. So Chris buddies up with Johnny Five and together they put the finishing touches on his own robot name, N-O-R-M-N, B-8-S. So Norman B-8s. Anyway, they work on it together. Johnny Five is, he's thinking about fathers and sons, you know, he gets excited. He's raising Norm, as he calls him, like a son. But the young robot has problems embracing the joys of humanity because he was not struck by lightning. He doesn't really understand human nature until he gets a little pig of his own to take care of. So he's got his little piggy. And meanwhile, the farmers are kind of slowly learning to trust Johnny Five and his farming innovations and the service bots he's building to help them. And it's actually bringing notoriety and income back to the town. Their crops are getting more durable and delicious and everything is working out so well. 
But meanwhile, in the background, Chris is striking a deal with a tech company to buy the Norm program, promising that it's actual artificial intelligence because he wants to make the name Javari mean something. But Norm's piggy then gets sick and dies after eating produce that was accidentally poisoned by the farmers and that just caused him to flip out and norm turns on the humans he starts sabotaging all their service bots destroying their crops and he's just saying i go these logical careless decisions why would we ever want to be like them you know as he's telling johnny five why would you want that they're terrible da, 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 da. they don't care about anything so after he's on the rampage through middle america and he's just trying to destroy everything so the close of the film is essentially johnny five trying to save these human friends that he's made while bringing hope and balance back to his adopted son and also helping Chris to come to terms with that his father was not a failure, you know, that Ben was happy with the life that he had and all his thoughts and his dreams and his ambition went into raising his son and that's what mattered most. And so it's just, you know, all those lessons about father and son relationships. And that is Short Circuit 3. Nice. Interesting. I have to say I cried a little. Wow. <laughs> all right, Jeff, round us out. All right. So I came up with Short Circuit Rebirth. Although then when I read it, I was just like, how is this rebirth? It just seemed appropriate. <laughs> But I don't know that the story has anything to do with Rebirth, but nonetheless. So <clears throat> after the events of Short Circuit 2, he became a celebrity. He becomes a celebrity talk show host, hosting maybe like Good Morning America or something like that. And everybody loves him. But then he hears one day that Stephanie and Newton's ranch in Montana is struggling. And so he decides to leave his life in the city to go back to help out his old human friends. So he moves back to help out around the ranch. So then it begins, which again, like I normally do, I don't think of comedy terribly well, but hijinks ensue as he's <laughs> learning how to farm and ranch and all that sort of stuff like that. But then it becomes clear, even with Johnny and Johnny's abilities and stuff like that, the ranch is not going to be able to sustain their life by just doing what they do. So Newton, Steve Gutenberg, comes up with the idea of turning the ranch into a dude ranch. So they turn it into a dude ranch. They bring guests out and they show them how to rope and they show them how to do all that sort of stuff. And of course, they realize they need more help. So Johnny suggests we need to bring in Ben. So Ben comes in and Ben's even more hapless at doing farming things than Johnny is. One of their first groups has this one guy who seems really, really interested in Johnny. I mean, obviously everybody's interested in Johnny because he's a celebrity and stuff like that, and he's a robot. But this guy seems overly interested. Like, he's always asking really specific questions, things like that. And during the week or whatever that the people are there, these incidents start happening where it's like at one point this hay bale mysteriously all of a sudden falls from the loft and is right going to land on somebody. But Johnny's right there and he's able to like zap it with his laser and so it doesn't hurt anybody. And there's a time where someone's going to fall off a cliff maybe and then he has to swoop in and save him with his glider. And so all of these, all of Johnny's abilities are somehow coming into play and it starts happening so often that it starts becoming suspicious. And so um, eventually we figure out that it's actually this guy that's been staring at Johnny has been doing these things to test Johnny. And what he ends up doing, we actually figure this all out when he one night sneaks up and deactivates Johnny and steals him because he wants to use him for you know military applications or something like that. So, of course, because this is just the way things go, the only way he can escape with Johnny is on horseback. We'd have to figure out how a horse is going to carry a robot and a human. But so then... <laughs> In a chariot, of course. Exactly. There's a chariot. Oh. I don't know. Or maybe Johnny is the chariot. So he puts a rope on him like so that the horse is dragging Johnny behind him. Anyway, so then they have to chase him down. And of course, the big moment has to come where Ben, because he's never been able to rope anybody, and he finally has to rope Johnny to save him. And so then they do. They end up finally catching the guy, arresting him, and then going back to life on the ranch. And everyone lives happily ever after. You see, that was a good ending. You know what? I'm tagging that onto mine, too, man. There you they go. Happily Texas. ever after. <laughs> they leave Texas yeah. and go back to the ranch and live happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now's time to vote. Adam, which pitch do you vote for? Obviously, I love the fact that Keith said it in the 90s. We get 
George Bush and everybody. Gulf War. I mean, it's it's a period piece. It's wonderful. I just I don't know if the world is ready for that. Like I would have loved to see them make it at that time, but I feel like we're kind of looking to now. What would you do in this day and age? And so I really feel like Jeff's was such a, a simple story that I felt like you could really do a lot with it in just making it another kind of family-friendly little adventure. We had Johnny on the run. We had Johnny in the big city. Now we got Johnny in the country. So I got to vote for Jeff. All right, Jeff. Well, and unconnected to your vote, uh, I was going to vote for Adams. I do like the idea of the new kid, the new robot that isn't adapting quite as well as Johnny does. I don't know about the blazing a path of destruction across middle America, but nonetheless, (laughs) I still like that, that concept of the two different robots having to kind of like work it out. All right. Getting interesting. Keith, which pitch? You guys are going to throw something at me, I know. I'm going to go with the other period piece, actually. I think that uh, Johnny Five getting scared of the Y2K bug is actually, that makes a lot of sense. And secondly, I think it would be hilarious to see a short film of him just, you know, sitting there with the, (laughs) maybe have like the old original startup noise with a ding, ding. <laughs> Every time that he gets a new, anyways, I I would vote for that. That's my. It vote. was by far the most entertaining pitch. That is there for you sure. Go. Oh, sure. yeah. I, think, I think that was the best written comedy of the. Yeah. <laughs> that stays true to the uh, franchise. Uh, and I like that. That means I have to throw the deciding vote, and I deciding can't pick my own. All on you. <laughs> Oh, I think we're going Jeff. Yeehaw! There you go. But I have to say that, Jeremy, I really think that your pitch should be the teaser trailer. So that's what gets us to 2017. Ah. Your video, you know, so that we see Short Circuit 3 Rebirth, (laughs) you know, (laughs) coming soon. It goes to black. You just hear ding, ding. You know, like all the updates happen. Something like that. So... Uh, Jeff, I do have to admit also, you've had lately a rash of surprise mashups where you've been putting our movies, putting them together with other film universes. I really thought you were going to introduce Billy Crystal into this and we were going to get a City Slickers crossover. Yeah, I don't usually intend on them being crossovers. It's just the sad thing that like, I don't know that I'm actually a creative person. I just have like all of these random bits of information in my brain that I randomly sort together. So all of my pitches are going to be recycled versions of something. So this just combines those two concepts, I guess. He just puts all of his thoughts into a box, shakes it up and pours Uh, out a few of them. Well, that was the thing for me with the second one. The introductory premise for the second movie was why would he leave this ranch in Montana? The first one ended with the end. And so to get him back into that scenario was was, was my ultimate goal. Just to be clear, they did say that Ben asked for help. Like he asked Newton to come down and help. And then in the little pre-recorded message, the Ali Sheedy, uh, that's her brief cameo in the second film, she says, we thought the best way to help you was to just send Johnny Five. So that that was the reasoning, you know, it's just pretty like... Thin. That's pretty thin. Oh, we'll send you so, a robot. So yeah, there's... Uh, Steve Gutenberg actually has said in interviews that he regretted turning down being in Short Circuit 2. Now, what's your opinion on that? What would the movie have been like had we had the goot? in there can we call him the goot i think it's only fair that we do well like you guys said is that the first movie was not a johnny five vehicle it was a steve gutenberg vehicle and so if you put gutenberg in there one you probably cut out michael mckeon because you don't need two comics in the same movie yeah it might be less johnny and more the goot (laughs) to me I don't see where he fits because I read that too. It's it basically just because they said, look, we want to do a, a second film. We don't have a completed script. So he said, no, forget about it. If I don't know what it is, I'm not going to do it. And then he, now he says he regrets it. But I don't know where they would have put him into that story because it would be strange for be like, okay, Ben is story, there. Yeah. Yeah, Steve Gutenberg is there, and now they're all adjusting to the big city together. Like, right. I, but maybe they weren't going to do that at all. Maybe they, yeah, when they was... finally said we don't have him, they just said, okay, whatever concept we had, we're totally <laughs> scrapping. Right, that's probably what happened. So with this one, though, because it's the interesting thing that now, because Gutenberg, apparently now Gutenberg is doing the Sharknado movies. But he does seem like he's kind of playing more of like the dad. I mean, he's that age anyway. But his style of comedy, you know, he was kind of the rascal, I guess. But he was never like 
the high energy rascal. And so he was not like a, like a John Belushi or anything like that. So he's so, a little rascal. <laughs> so now, yeah, it's kind of that thing where he might have a couple of good like one-liners and zingers and stuff like that. But I think this is going to turn into like Ali Sheedy and, and the Goot are kind of mom and dad. And Johnny Five and Ben are like the, the crazy kids or something. I was going to say, that, I think the they vegetable. should have a kid that is jealous of Johnny Five because they treat him kind of like a son because they were there at his, as creation. But he's still kind of a baby. Okay. So it feels like like they would baby him and they have a son who resents Johnny Five right. because of that. You well, know? and I would say like as opposed to a kid or I guess it's still a kid, but like I would put him like as a teenager. So then it's a little bit more they're on the Absolutely. same page kind of as opposed to yeah. like an eight year old because an eight year old would just think he was the coolest thing ever. Well, plus, what are they doing having an eight year old when they're like in their 50s now? You know what I'm saying? Like they're old, Ali Sheedy and Steve Gutenberg. Well, it was hey, 30 years ago. Dude, like so. like uh, what's his name? Larry King keeps popping him out. And he's like 106. <laughs> so. I know, but Ali Sheedy wouldn't be able to have the baby. Steve oh. Gutenberg, he's potent. He's ready to go. The Goot, the Goot can, uh, can. Can we can not play talk the about the Goot yeah, potency not. anymore? Oh. Just make Just a, a podcast fact. rule. <laughs> Goot. Oh. But yeah, but I. I like I think that premise works and I and it has to be that when you know the the evil guy that's tried to to steal Johnny 5 and all of that comes into play the kid is there to rescue Johnny in the end and Ben is there but I really think in this case Ben is in the background again like he was in the first movie where he will steal the show with his jokes and everything but he won't have the same emotional story he had in the second one it's more about like you said he's terrible on a horse he can't rope whatever and again with today's culture we'll probably need to tone down some of the like overtly racist <laughs> Indian that a non-Indian person is doing. But well, should what, he have what, not have an accent? Should that be the no, joke? You, you can't, that would be crazy. <laughs> but I don't think you hit it as hard. I don't think you do as many like, Oh, Johnny five, tone it down there, fish. Uh, <laughs> but what if, what if talking about the kid, I kind of like that angle. What if we add that the villain which by the way you guys are you guys on board with that conflict yeah, definitely that the villain I, I like oh that. yeah it's which simple was, it gets to the point yeah i thought was interesting keith how you kind of reintroduced what's his name straight sure schroeder yeah yeah awkward name uh <laughs> but my guess is that if you introduced him everyone would know who he was so we could have that he's working for him or something like that yeah um, what if the guy like somehow recruits the son? So the son is actually helping to kidnap Johnny Five. And so you do kind of like a heel turn where the son is trying to get rid of him and then kind of realizes at some point that, oh, this guy that I'm trying to get rid of, like I'm, I've picked the wrong side or something. Yeah, absolutely. How uh, how set are we on the whole happy ending thing, too? Because I actually was kind of considering it for a while. I'm like, what if Johnny Five ends up actually losing and then he ends up doing like some type of factory job and like <laughs> oh. the, like the, the echo is going on as the credits are starting yeah. to roll, right? They just run programs, you know? I feel like that doesn't fit with these movies, though. These movies are a happily ever after kind of movies. Mm -hmm. Right, I just don't know if everyone likes it these days, that's all. Oh, well, I mean, it depends on how much we want to honor the short circuit thing, or if we go in a different direction. Yeah, so honestly, we... I feel like if you were rebooting it, you could have that ending, because you would kind of take the whole vibe of the franchise and shift it, and I think you could get away with that, but in this type of film, we honestly are going for this saccharine, you know, very simple wrap-up, everybody's resolved in the end, yeah. you know, you get a chuckle, you know, like, so I think it's adventurous to consider that, but it would be incongruous to what we're building in this particular story. Well, having right. brought it up, I'm probably going to give myself nightmares, just like, who just <laughs> Well, again, if you haven't seen Ex Machina, see Ex Machina, because that's basically what happens. It is not a happy ending in that mm -hmm. one. But that's the, the thing with this, with Short Circuits, is that so much of the movie was built around falling in love with this character. Because by far, Johnny Five is the most likable, lovable character in all of these movies. So if he's the one 
that ends up with the unhappy ending. It's kind of like as the audience, you're really ticked off, you know, especially somebody <laughs> else gets a happy ending. You just walk uh, out of the theater going, well, that sucked. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's the nice thing that I'm thinking, too. Although he's I'm sure he did it at other points. There would be ample room for John Wayne impressions by Johnny Five and yeah. all of the Clint Eastwood, even like Jimmy Stewart in, in some of his Westerns. But what do you guys think in terms of casting in this? Because there's a lot of recurring characters and the story. I mean, Jeff, I think you put it together pretty well. We've just added a little extra element. But for the son and for the, the villain character, who do you think would fit well in this day and age into the short circuit universe? And again, that's the difference with the first one. I feel like the first one, the villains were much more villainous. Whereas in the second one, we were just kind of like, ha ha. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like you said that when the, the gang actually beats him almost to death. Yeah, that's pretty traumatizing. But it was kind of out of nowhere because they're goofy exactly. throughout the rest of the exactly. film. Yeah. So if you want to get a villain that is comical, then I feel like you, you want to try to toe that line. For some reason, and it's mostly just because I keep picturing Jurassic World and Vincent D'Onofrio's goal of turning dinosaurs into military weapons. So for some reason, <laughs> I keep thinking of him. Well, you can't go wrong with D'Onofrio in any role. He always makes unique choices that you're like okay love the guy you don't know uh, i don't know you might overshadow but he feels like he's on the downward spiral but i was thinking almost somebody like vince vaughn but maybe he tones himself down a little bit but he's playing like a schlubby guy my wife left me and he like he's always telling these depressing stories or something but then he turns and he's like that smarmy guy that we know vince vaughn could be my like, fear is that first statement you made vince vaughn toning it down do those two phrases <laughs> Go together. I, I don't. I'm skeptical. Didn't he do a psycho remake? I didn't ever see it. Oh, yeah. Else. Shot for shot psycho remake. Was, was weird. that any good? I didn't know. Well, <laughs> no, it, de okay. it depends. I mean, it's an interesting one. I mean, he's so much younger than the Goot. Well, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, what if he played it almost like Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, where he's kind of more social network e, where he's a tech genius or a tech billionaire? Oh, and he's just living his cowboy fantasies. We, yeah, we think okay. he's just like that, but then he actually has tech interests. It seems like a good angle. The other person that came to mind for me who always just seems like a bad guy, even though I've seen him kind of be cast in semi-good guy roles, and I think on Modern Family as well, but Ty Burrell, he always like oh. seems evil to me. Does he? And, like, yeah. he's, what? <laughs> he's Phil from Modern Family. How can he be a bad guy? But that's what I'm saying. Like, it always seems like an act to me when oh, he's really? playing the down-to-earth or goofy guy. Oh. And so I feel like he could really turn really well and give wow. that to us. You don't think so, I, huh? I, that well, because I love Modern Family. I've seen every episode three times. Wow. And, and I, even and I, I basing it on his does. work in The Incredible Hulk. Oh, <laughs> he, my gosh. Yeah. Which I think that's pretty interesting. Like, I, I hadn't gone in those directions. Because the two that popped to my mind, which are maybe a little bit more obvious, were Brian Cranston or John Lithgow. But yes. both oh, of them are maybe a little because John Lithgow, from what I hear, his bad guy, what was it, Dexter, I think? He was Lord a terrifying Clark. bad guy, from what I hear. It's interesting what you're saying, because Ty Burrell, gosh, I I find it hard to see him doing it straight because I just see him as the goofy dad. Whereas but that would be a great false impression that audiences uh, would go in, see uh, like, oh, he's just that guy and then he turns it on at the end and turns evil true. it would be surprising but i don't want to not like him though <laughs> I don't and i already don't well because that's the other part too is that if we are going kind of with the not homage but the similarity to city slickers is that you have all the other like random people yeah, that are in the dude ranch. so you could certainly have ken jong and random spouse like that would be hilarious to just have a cameo and, and rebel wilson because we're always trying to find a role for rebel wilson. Yeah. Hey, we just all right the movie, throw tina fey guess... in there she's like the white eddie murphy uh, <laughs> yeah. but, see, but that's the tough part is that those people so outshine steve gutenberg that it's kind of like <laughs> oh he's supposed to be the star well, speaking of which, though, because I feel like Steve Gutenberg and Ali Sheedy are in the background. They're glorified right. cameos, right? Well, They're not see, the big characters. But I think, especially if we're doing the like first act of Johnny and Ben learning the ropes of ranching and dude ranching, we need someone to teach them the ropes. Either that's Steve Gutenberg is the veteran rancher that's going to teach him how to be a cowboy, or we got to get a Jack Palance type character in there. 
and then really have them in the background. Well, yeah, no, but my, my thought was the sun. The sun would be like the ultimate cowboy, which is one more reason why he, he like just looks down on Johnny Five. He doesn't care about technology. He doesn't care about all the stuff his dad did before. He's lived his life in Montana. He loves it. He identifies with life as a cowboy. So he's that guy who like really runs the dude ranch. It's not yeah. Steve Gutenberg's not a cowboy, you know. Well, he's lived there so for his like son thirty that does years it. now. Well, but, <laughs> but, that I, is, but that's the thing. As you're saying that, oh, the two that just keep popping to my head are the two constant no's. If if that's the way we go, it's totally got to be like either Chris Pine or a Hemsworth brother. And oh, oh really? You don't gonna, you think so? It's got to be so. younger, younger Hemsworth. Like that just screams. Other than the, the lack of heel turn, I don't see him being able to do that. But it just feels no. like a Chris Pine, Chris Hemsworth role. Yeah, I, or, I, don't, I, I was think, thinking younger, actually. Well, that's why I was thinking younger Hemsworth. What's less talented one's name? Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it Liam? Liam. Liam, Liam yeah. That's embarrassing. Well, the person Bob, I was thinking Bob was like Lucas Till. You know, Havoc from the X-Men yeah. and Monster Trucks. He seems like he would... I buy. I would buy him and as Monster like a country trucks. cowboy kid. Yeah, Monster I, Trucks now is how I identify him. But, <laughs> really? Cowboy? Yeah. Because he, he's kind of like a stoic, non-emoting type actor. So Yeah, but he, isn't that him in, um, in what you call it? Monster Trucks, yes. <laughs> oh, no. I was thinking of the kid from um, Manchester by the Sea. But no, that's... That's another brooding teen. Believe it or not, I uh, still peruse the Disney Channel every once in a while. <laughs> uh, okay. There's a, a young actor. This show just went off, too, so he was in Girl Meets World. Um, I was thinking, what if Stephanie and Newton end up adopting, because he's black, but his name is Amir Mitchell Towns. He plays the best friend on Girl Meets World, and he's from Texas. So, obviously, I, he got the cowboy thing in his blood. I feel like he uh, he could play really straight, right? Here, I'm telling you straight. And then he also was, you know, in a sitcom. So that could be good, actually. That it'd, it'd be interesting casting, but I also think it introduces the adoption story because, again, that means we're talking about the kid. He does not like Johnny Five and feels threatened by him. Well, in a way, Johnny Five was kind of adopted, picked first, you know, or if you want to consider him like a natural born child because Newton actually built him and created him, you know, whereas he yeah. adopted the kid. Like, I, I actually, I think that works pretty well on a lot of levels. You know, you could play into the drama of it all. He's on the younger side, right? He's like 16 or 17, it looks like. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Plus, no, you bring in the tween audience. There we got them now. <laughs> which, right. which is kind of what we're going for. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but don't, don't tell anybody that I watch Disney Channel. So, well, you are on a podcast. I hate to break it to you. There we won't tell anyone. You just told the world. There are literally tens of people listening to this. So. Maybe. Maybe. But I like that, Ben. Yeah. So uh, we got uh, Amir in there. And we haven't settled on a villain. But, Jeff, with your reaction to Ty Burrell, I just feel like that makes him the perfect casting then. Because like, people will be like, what? I, I love this I would so guy. not see that. Exactly. Yeah. And that interesting thing that he, because he is so goofy and aloof, like, you would never suspect him. Well, the other part, too, is that I feel like the whole thing we were talking about, you know, he is like some type of tech genius or businessman i feel like he's not the figurehead of the company so they don't know that he's that guy this is the guy who really was like the behind the scenes genius that built it up and that's why he yeah. made his fortune by stealing other people's ideas and right. taking them, and then the other guy would go promote it and type of thing. Well, and going in that direction, what if instead they kind of become best friends because they're both a very similar personality? So Ty, the, Ty Burrell's character and Johnny Five just like hit it off and they're telling jokes and one-liners and laughing and like doing impressions and they really like click. I like it. Yeah. So now if we did want to do, cause you, I know Adam, you would start off by saying about the mashup thing. Yeah. Get Daniel. No, no, there. no, no. I was thinking with city slickers or my favorite of the group was Ira and Barry, the ice cream brothers. Yeah. They were supposed to be a spoof on Ben and Jerry. I, I can't imagine uh -huh. that Ira is still around. Uh, I think he has to be. That's zero Mostel's son. He was also in Billy Madison. Really? As the principal, right. I'm sure he's still around. I think he, he looks 
older than he was. Well, he looked. <laughs> he looks. He was. He's such a big guy. Yeah, Josh Mustel was the big guy. Okay. And, then, and is, is he yeah. still is he still around and kicking? This is his last uh, bit of uh, work here. Yeah. He's just on Mr. Robot 2017. Josh All right. Let's get him in there. So if you want to do the the crossing, <laughs> you could have the two of them. They're still doing dude ranches. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that we've talked this long about a short circuit three. I really thought this would be like an in and out episode where I think there's, there is an excitement about this property that, that can be rekindled for people. And I think especially by mixing in so many hilarious actors, you know, again, four cameos, but just kind of add the nostalgia of it. Like you said, getting Gutenberg in there and whatever. I think there's, it's in the zeitgeist guys for this could uh this could work so if they they're looking to finally pull the trigger on getting a third installment going or some version of short circuit this is the way to go i gotta be honest with you <laughs> yeah we'll use my uh funnier die pitch as a way to gauge interest exactly in the general public keith thank you so much for joining us brought a lot of fun yeah. to the episode a real intense pitch that's what we like from our guests it was a real long <laughs> pitch but yeah i'm glad i could help love to have you back sometimes so let us know when your disney channel watching uh <laughs> your schedule opens up and uh, yeah. and we'll have yeah. you in. If nothing else, I can help with casting for young roles. So there you Perfect. go. Yeah. <laughs> we actually always struggle with that. So that was True. very helpful. <laughs> We're like, we don't know anybody, you know, who wasn't alive in 1999. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, again, you're you're one of uh, many wonderful guests that we, we have on the schedule. So really keep an eye out, everybody, because we've got a lot of people coming in, bringing their fresh ideas, giving you something new on Sequel Quest. Well, Adam, how are you feeling? I feel alive! We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. Tunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 